0: Ready for the word today? All right. Well, we have been taking our time through the book of First Corinthians, haven't we? <laughs> uh, and we've been really focusing on a particular passage in First Corinthians that is very interesting. Uh, it's thought provoking. Uh, my guess, and really my experience, is that, that it's caused different conversations outside of Sunday morning services. And by and large, what we're studying has been very convicting to many of us. And as we look at the section of 1 Corinthians, uh, we're talking about areas uh, in the Bible that are gray. And uh, John MacArthur, we mentioned this several weeks ago, kind of described gray areas as those areas where in every year and in every society, and in every culture, and in every environment, there has to be a decision made that may only be for that time and for that place. And we have a responsibility as, as, as believers to discern, saying, okay, in the season of life I'm in, or in the situation that I'm in, how am I going to exercise my liberty? And for the Corinthian church, we know that the issue for them was eating meat sacrificed to idols. And fellowshipping and doing parties at the idol temples. And the leaders said and the churches said, hey, if the Old Testament doesn't talk about it or if the Bible doesn't address it specifically, they said, hey, we're free. We can do what we want. And Paul's challenge has been it is not always appropriate to take your liberty, to exercise your freedom. In fact, he says, hey, when they, this whole idea of knowledge that, yeah, yeah, you may understand, you may know something to be true, you don't always have to exercise that truth because of love. And love needs to be a part of that. And technically, uh, if you're right, doesn't mean that you should do whatever you want to do. And there's two questions that we've kind of talked about. How will what we do affect others? And will it become a stumbling block to the weak? And then number two, how will it affect me How will what I'm doing affect my conscience? And if our conscience I pricked, we need to listen to that. That's the Holy Spirit speaking to us us and in chapter 9 we saw Paul he kind of he said hey i've got the right to be paid as an apostle but i'm denying that right and later on he encourages us to be self-controlled and self-disciplined and then in chapter 10 we saw last week that i that Israel they were not self-controlled they were not self-disciplined and the result is they became disqualified To be able to go into the promised land. And what's interesting is we focused on verse 12, and I want you to turn with me there to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and we'll look at verse 12 one more time here, just briefly. It says, So, if you think you are standing firm. And the idea here really was sarcastic because the Corinthian believers, they were kind of puffed up with knowledge. They're saying, Yeah, we're okay. We can do these things. And Paul's saying, Look, if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. And it was a strong warning last week. And I believe that many of you walked away thinking about that fact. In your life, the gray areas or the different things, and we said it was a subtle um, slope, slippery slope, saying, hey, how am I doing in these areas? And I believe that uh, last week really challenged uh, many of us. I know it did me. Well, today we're going to continue and Paul really begins to wrap up his thoughts in this section. Remember, we're studying 8, chapter 8, verse 1 through 11, verse 1 in, in context. And what's interesting is as I started to study uh, this week's message. I really got, uh, got bogged down in one idea, in one term, in fact. And then I decided instead of just keep on blazing through 1 Corinthians, which I, when I say blazing through, I understand we're going slow, but I really want to slow us down even further to take our time and look at one term. In this one term, in the context of Christian liberty and freedom, Paul really asks the questions, what do they, the leaders, value most in their lives? And if they value God, if they value walking with God, they value the presence of God, they would not want to do anything that would hurt God or hurt others. Nothing that would diminish or even come close to the edge. They would stay as far away because of their love and their passionate pursuit for God and what we'll see as we discuss this one term, we'll see here in just a second, that if the leaders or anyone, really, any of us, value something more than God, our, whether it's our liberty liberty or anything, it will determine someone's decisions, not to mention their destiny. So the question I want to ask today, and we'll put it up on the screen, is what do you value most in your life? As I've studied that and I've sat with that all week, it's been somewhat frustrating for me because of some inconsistencies, to be quite honest, in my life. For me, the light has gone on as I studied this one term that we'll kind of get to here in just a second. And the question is, what do you value most in your life? And if you value anything more than God at any level, the truth is you've become an idolater. And Paul understood this, and that's why he wrote 1 Corinthians chapter 10. verse. 14. Now, I want you to, you should be right there, and we're going to read this. And normally we'd stand and read, but today it's one verse, and it's a short verse. And so we're just going to have you seated here as we look at chapter 10, verse 14. This is what it says It says, Therefore, and let me just pause there for a second. This is, he's beginning his concluding thoughts here uh, as he's kind of wrapping up to going to 11, verse 1. He says, Therefore, for everything that we've discussed so far from chapter 8, 9, and into 10, he says, my dear friends, this is a passionate, this is emotional, uh, he loves the Corinthian church, and he's, he's really uh, uh, saying, hey, this is important, and uh, I love you. And then he says something very, very simple, but very profound, very deep as we will look at it today. He says, flee from idolatry, flee from idolatry. And I'm just going to pray and ask the Lord to help us to get our mind around that verse and around this one-term idolatry this morning. Let's pray. Lord, we just welcome you here to speak to our hearts, to our minds. And, Lord, whether we're visiting today uh, for the first time or we've been here forever, God, it doesn't matter. Lord, your word is alive and active, and, Lord, it can speak to us. And, God, I pray that you'd use my words to be able to speak to each and every person here. And, God, we just give you the praise. We give you all the glory for it in Jesus' name. And everyone said Amen, amen. Let me just pause one other second. We've got a special guest here, uh, another couple that uh, I've known for the last couple years, Mike and Kim Sabatino. Uh, just give us a quick wave. Um, they are on sabbatical for three months uh, away from their church, and uh, they are two months. I've seen two. I'm just saying three, brother. Just take that third month. You tell Pastor Joe I said it was okay. <laughs> um, but Mike Sabatino and I, we spend quite a bit of time together and uh, doing different activities. And we'll actually talk about it this morning, uh, believe it or not. But, um, and I didn't know you are going to be here. Uh, but we love having you guys And uh, as you're enjoying your time away from ministry. That's cool. Well, listen, when you read that verse, flee from idolatry, it can seem really clear and really simple. And then you just keep on reading on in Scripture. But what was interesting is that when you say flee from idolatry, the history of Israel which we talked a little bit last week about, it was a huge issue. There were false gods, there were foreign deities, they had Asher poles, golden calves on and off all throughout the, the new or I'm sorry, the old testament, the children of Israel they struggled with idolatry and really specifically idols that they would build and worship and that they could kind of handle and touch. For the Corinthian church, it was a huge issue as well. And we've seen that throughout the whole series, that there was pagan festivals and there were feasts and there was idol worship. And we've said that you could find thousands of gods, little g, in the in the culture there and it affected business it was personal and all those things but then when we say okay well what about today what are what do these idols look like it may not initially be so clear it may be easy to dismiss saying i don't have any idols there's nothing in my house that i put on the counter that i worship or that you know i don't wear a loincloth around and go to timbuktu and you know worship something that's other than than god in heaven And what's interesting is that as I studied this term and tried to get my mind around it, it really is something, as it was revealed to me, that each and every one of us will struggle with. My sensitivity to this term was heightened. In fact, it was a big deal. One commentator said this, that idolatry was a repulsive word to him. He says he would put it in the category with other words like blasphemy and damned and hell and Judas. And I'm reading this and I'm saying, really? Is it really that big of a deal? And this is a quote from John MacArthur. He says that idolatry, the term, it conjures up great anxiety in my heart concerning myself, he says, with holiness and purity and in the character of God as I kind of sat with that and kind of tried to get my mind around that, it began to stir in my heart as well. That there are things in my life that I may not originally think that they're idols, but certainly have the potential. And I want you to see this morning, as we kind of track through this idea, to study this term uh, and to take a good look, is that idolatry is the most serious and potentially the most contaminating sin that there is. You say, the most serious and contaminating sin there is? Really? You say, well, why is that? Well, there's several reasons why. And again, we could spend weeks on this term and, uh, and try to develop it fully, but I want to give you a, a, just a kind of a brief uh, background. Idolatry really strikes directly at the character of God. You need to understand that and kind of uh, understand that that God is holy, He's awesome, He's supreme, He is almighty. And if we put anything in front of Him, it strikes at His character. Plus, we lose the guidelines of any moral judgment if we do, were to do that. Idolatry also assumes that God is other than He is. If we believe that he, God is all-powerful, but then we put our own en- energy into something, we turn away from God, and we try to do our own strength it assumes that god is to be something that he is not idolatry also is to have an unworthy or erroneous view of god any perversion of who god is is idolatry idolatry is also failing to trust god in any area of your life now i want to stop stop here for a second because this one kind of caught me off guard Because there are times that we kind of put our own strength or we put our own energy into something, and sometimes we do, we question God, and we say, God, can I really trust you in this or in that? But listen, if you believe not, if you don't believe God's Word, what it says, you make God to be a liar, trusting God. Or if you panic or if there's doubt, you become an idolater worshiping god in the wrong way we saw last week is also idolatry exodus chapter 32 they started off saying hey let's worship jehovah god let's uh, worship yahweh and then all of a sudden it was a slippery slope and all of a sudden the children of israel were worshiping a golden calf and we read and looked at that last week and what i want you to see one other thing is that worshiping any other image other than god The Bible talks about worshiping angels or demons or even the dead. Those are all idolatry. And idolatry that comes in many shapes and many sizes. And what's interesting is as we understand it, as I've understood it and kind of had a broader uh, awareness this week and really in this season as we're studying through 1 Corinthians, is that each and every one of us probably, in fact, I'll just say we do have idols in our lives let me give you uh, an opportunity if you well let me do, we won't take the opportunity but if i asked you to write down in your life you know what are some idols that may that come up for you it's probably easy to identify some maybe some are a little harder and we're going to talk about some of these in a second and what's interesting is that some things that are innocent or maybe start innocent uh, all of a sudden have become an idol and have taken precedence over your relationship with God. And if you're struggling saying, boy, I can't think of anything, just, you know, nudge your spouse and they could probably help you to say what's what's more important in your life or what is on that edge. Or maybe you, if you're here and you're a student, you say, you know, maybe you need to ask your parents or parents maybe if you asked your kids my guess is as you'll see at the end of the message today my kids helped me with some of my obsessions and uh we'll we'll get there in just a minute but i want to talk about some of these idols Uh, the first one i want to talk about is money and this is a big one that when money or possessions gets in the way of worshiping god someone would say oh i'm not going to tithe or i'm not going to give and in your life it becomes an idol It's everything in your life is a financial decision. And you say, well, I don't serve money. And I would say, no, maybe you don't think that. But by your actions, there are many people in the church and outside of the church that serve money. They've got a fear of money. And everything is based on money. Everything is related to their bank account or their stock portfolio. And the money, in the pursuit of money controls them. And that may be some of you here. Another one is popularity. You say, well, you know, that's really, you know, for the young people here, right? Peer pressure, right? We talk about that or status, types of things. But I would argue that all of us are susceptible at times to this idea of popularity. That there are things that you will do or not do. You will watch things that will grieve your spirit because it will keep you on the end. You would value being with it. Being popular, being accepted socially more than your own walk with the Lord. Popularity. Another one is pleasure. You would give, you live your life for that five o'clock Friday afternoon. Or games or recreation. There, it consumes your thoughts, your time, it consumes your money. Everything in your life is about pleasure, pleasure, pleasure. Now I want to just pause, say there's nothing wrong with money, right? There's nothing wrong with being likable, and there's nothing wrong with pleasure. But anything that controls your life is an idol. We're going to see that this morning. Let's look at a few more. How about sex, immorality, lust, right? Um, there are those in the church, I'm sure, that, are, that have a hidden idol of pornography or, or, or different draw to sexual things. How about fashion? Another one that's very interesting. I, I, I can stand before you and I'll share a little later. But fashion can be an issue. Labels, the name brands, the, or the right to wear a certain style can become an idol in someone's life. How about people? And certainly we can kind of think of idols, you know, think of a, the movie star, the pop culture, or maybe a sports star, those types of things. But listen, anyone that you worship is negative other than God. There may be people in your life locally, in your neighborhood or at work, that maybe you worship the ground that they walk on and you just idolize them and you don't even realize it. Let's look at a few more. How about uh, music? Rather, You would rather have your, your music, whatever that is, than to worry about what it does to your mind. And worship or, or music can become an idol. How about entertainment, TV, movie, you fill in the blank and uh, using your iPads or iPhones for that, uh, those types of things. There are some, if you had the choice between uh, I'll take my Bible or I'll take my cable TV or my Netflix, it would be a hard choice for some of you. And some of you are saying, well, I could probably find the Bible on Netflix and it would probably be okay, right? Right? And uh, entertainment, though, can become an idol. Sleep can become an idol. Um, And then let's continue. Uh, How about education or the pursuit of knowledge or degrees or titles or work? The things that you do, what you get caught up in, what you do and how you are viewed can become an idol. And the last one on this list, just for our time, is family. You say, how could my family become an idol? Listen, if your kids or your spouse, are more important to you than God. Anything valued more than God is an idol in our families. And there are many families that become an idol. And some people think, well, I love God. I've been baptized. I go to church, right? I'm okay, right? I'm okay. There's no problem here. But the question is, do you love God more than anything? That's a question I've asked myself. Do I love God more than anything in my life? Turn with me to Luke chapter 14. This is a challenging verse. I've read it many times, studied it before, but I want to bring it to our remembrance here. And maybe you've read it. It's really a hyperbole. What, listen what it says in Luke 14, verse 25. It says a large crowd were traveling with Jesus, and they turned to, and Jesus turned to them and said, Listen. If anyone comes to me, if you want to be a Christ follower, if you want to love God, and you do not hate your father and your mother, his wife, his children, his brothers and his sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. You say, come on, Jesus, really? I would have to hate my mother and my brother and my sister, my spouse, my kids. I would have to hate my own life in order to serve God. And what we see here is that unless you love your love for God is so great, greater than anything, the difference is so great, it's higher, it's deeper. You cannot be His disciple. That's what God. That's Jesus' standard. In Matthew chapter twenty-two, verses thirty-six. In in On, it talks about the greatest command. Jesus was asked, What's the greatest commandment? He says, Look, love the Lord your God with some of your heart, some of your soul, some of your mind. Give him a piece. No. With all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And then to love your neighbor as yourself, of course. And we see this that God, He's a jealous God, we'll see. He wants everything. He doesn't want us to hold back anything. He wants our heart. He wants our mind. He wants our soul. You say, well, why does God want so much from us? It's because he knows the tragic results of idolatry. And I want to talk about four things, four results of idolatry, and then we'll kind of be wrapped up for today. The first one is that you lose your ability to discern the issues of life. Let me say that again. You lose the ability to discern the issues of life. And I want you to turn with me to Isaiah chapter 44. Isaiah chapter 44, verses 12 through 20. It's kind of lengthy, but it's very interesting. As we read through this, you're going to see that idolatry blinds our mind. In that people with normal ability making things to worship is really nonsense and that they know nothing and, and that uh, no one thinks that it, it's harmful. But, uh, but we'll see that anything uh, that our energy or emotions are, when they become consumed, it will blind us. Let's look at what this says. It says the blacksmith takes a tool and works with it in his coal. He shapes an idol with his hammer. He forges it with the might of his arm. So he's putting it together himself. He gets hungry and loses his strength. He drinks no water and grows faint. He, he puts all this effort in and he's getting weak in the, in the stand, by the standby. The carpenter measures with a line and makes an outline with a marker. He roughs it out with his chisel and marks it with a compass. He shapes it in the form of a man and the man in all his glory that it may dwell in a shrine. He cuts down cedars or perhaps takes a cypress or an oak. He lets it grow among the trees of the forest or plants or planted a pine, and the rain made it grow. It is, a man's fuel, uh, it is a man's fuel for burning. Some of it takes and warms himself. He kindles a fire and bakes bread. But he also fashions a god, little g, and worships it. He makes an idol and bows down to it half of the wood he burns in the fire over it he prepares his meal he roasts his meat and he eats his fill he also warns himself and says ah He warms himself and says i'm warm i see the fire from the rest of it he makes a god his idol he bows down to it and worships he prays to it and he says save me you are my god what we see here is a man that takes something very natural And he uses part of it to burn up, to make himself warm, to bake bread on. And then he takes the other part of the wood to make an idol. And what's interesting is all that energy, all that emotion is consumed. And all the while, he doesn't even realize what he's doing, that he's taking natural things and trying to put a supernatural spin on it. And you can't do that with God. And Isaiah is saying, hey, beware. Normal people with normal abilities, it's nonsense. They know nothing. You begin in your life when you have idols to be blinded to the truth about your life. You become consumed, and all of a sudden, where you used to be able to reason and to make good decisions, now you're struggling. And we see that in different areas, maybe with pleasure. Maybe you choose a day at the lake over and over and over. and you think it's okay because you're with your family or because you're you know you've only got so much time and and instead of making church a priority. And I know we're right in the middle of summer, and there's nothing wrong with that pleasure and being away. I understand that. Or what about entertainment? Maybe your favorite TV show or maybe your favorite sports that you just, you know, you over and over and over, you get caught up, and all of a sudden your time with God suffers. How about fashion? You may drop hundreds, maybe even thousands on certain a certain image. There's ladies I know, and I'm you know I'm picking on the ladies because it's easier than to pick on myself. You know, they'll you know drop three and four hundred dollars on a purse. And then they come to church and someone's in need and they're, they're stingy with $100 to give to someone that's in need. And I'm saying, okay, when fashion becomes like that, it becomes an idol. You say, how does it work? Psalm 135 gives us some insight into that. Psalm 135 really is very interesting. Verse 15 through 18, it says, The idols of nations are silver and gold, right? They're made by the hands of men. They have mouths, but they cannot speak. Eyes, but they cannot see. They have ears they cannot hear. Nor is there breath in their mouths. Those who make them, listen, this is important, will be like them, and so will all who trust in them. What that's saying is that you will become like the object you worship. And so if it's pleasure that you're worshiping, which, by the way, is uh, results in everything empty, or money, or entertainment, or fashion, you fill in the blank, it's going to leave you empty in your heart. If the focus is on these things, you will lose the ability to discern in your life. And we need to be discerning people. We need to be full of knowledge, and we need to realize that Proverbs 1.7 says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, that we need to trust God. We need to put God number one, that God is perfect, He is just, He's loving, He's kind. And the more that you focus on Him, the more you'll be like Him. What could be better in our lives? Think about your life, wherever you are, as a grandparent, or as a young family, or as a single adult, or a student. What could be better in your life than for you to become more like God? At work, in the workplace, in the marketplace, or at home, in your marriage, what could be better than for you to become more like God? or raising your kids, Lord knows that's difficult. What would be better than for a husband and a wife to become more and more like God? See, idols, they will blind us to the issues of of life. The second thing is interesting that if you let idols take control, you will actually stop serving God. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. This is the tragic result of idolatry. Matthew chapter 6, you say, Oh, I'm not sure about this. Well, look what it says. It's talking about treasures in heaven, storing up treasures in heaven. But verse 24 says this that no one can serve two masters. You can't serve two different things. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. And then this last phrase is very interesting. He says, you cannot serve both God and money. And I would say that you cannot serve God and money. You can't serve God and popularity, or pleasure, or sex, or fashion, people, entertainment. Education, work, you can't serve God and your family. You can't serve God and anything. You're going to either love one and hate the other, or you're going to be devoted to one and despise the other. That's what Matthew 6, 24 says. And then if you continue in verse 25, we see the third thing, the tragic result of idolatry is that people will forfeit their peace. Look what it says. It says, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life. Or what you will eat or drink, or what you're about your body, or what you will wear, all things that are potential idols. Listen, what it says here is that when there are idols in your life, we try to provide for things that we need. You say, I can take care of this. I don't need God. And by the way, you can't do it. You will never satisfy your hunger or your crave for, for the natural things. It's never enough. But when God is in the proper perspective in our, in our minds, we will see how God changes things. Let's look at, jump down to verse 35 or 31. So do not worry, right? Do not worry saying, what will I eat or what shall I drink or what shall I wear? For the pagans, the idolaters, they run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But then verse 33 says, but seek first his kingdom. In his righteousness, And I know you've heard this verse, but I want to you to see this in the, in the idea of idolatry and put the two together, that when God is in the proper place, our minds are at rest. Our minds are at peace. We don't have to worry. I love what Isaiah 26:3 says it says, "You will keep in perfect peace him whose mind is fast because He trusts in you, O Lord." A tragic result is that you will forfeit peace when you are consumed with idolatry. The last one that I want to talk about today is that your family will suffer. Our families will suffer. And turn with me to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20, if you're a a theologian, you know that it's the Ten Commandments. And what's interesting here is that as we read this, some people will say, well, I can live my life however I want. And uh, it really doesn't affect anyone else. And what I want you to see here is that that is absolutely not true. Let's look at it. In verse 1, it says, And God spoke all these words, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. We're in Exodus chapter 20. And then the first commandment, he says this, You shall have no other God before me. Verse 4, You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to thousands of generations of those who love me and keep my commands. And then ver- verse number 7, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. The first three commandments in the Ten Commandments all deal with this idea of idols. And people will say, oh, I can live like I want. But listen, it's not just your life. What you do and what you decide and where you go, it will affect those around you. And did you know, parents, how many of us are parents or grandparents, the decisions that you make will affect your children. And I would say even if you're single or you're a young person here, the decisions that you make will affect those around you. When we think about our kids, our kids, they begin to look like us, don't they? And Even spiritually, in many cases, they begin to look like us. And in verse 5, we understand that when, when you sin, the potential is that you will transmit that sin to the next generation. Look at verse 5. It says it says this you shall not bow down, for I am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation. It'll be passed down because of the natural laws that are built within us. That those that were raising up, those that were around, they see the example, they see the way we live, the way we speak, and all of a sudden they become like us. That is scary. Now it doesn't always have to be, I believe I don't believe that generational curses are a must, but I do believe it's possible. See, Whatever you give attention to, your kids will give attention to as well. And I've certainly seen that in my life. See, idols affect family. But listen, when you fear God, on the flip side, I love what Proverbs 14 says. Um, In fact, I want you to turn here. This is, uh, I know we're turning to a lot of verses, but this is important for you to see proverbs chapter 14 verse 26 you know we think that you know our uh when we fear god when we do what's right according to god's word listen what it says it says he who fears the lord has a secure fortress and for his children it will be a refuge put yourself in that in that verse if you fear the Lord. You will provide a castle, a shelter for your children, for your offspring, and I I believe for your children and for your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren. You say, well, how do you see that? Well, in verse 6, it says for a thousand generations. But with idols, don't forget, we're going to be blinded. It's going to risk our serving God. It forfeits peace, and it will affect generations to come. You can avoid this. I can avoid this. You can avoid this. As a church, we can avoid this by making God number one. Have you ever wondered why some people seem to be more blessed than others? I know you have because I have too. It's just kind of human. You kind of look at people and say, "Man, they get all the breaks," or "They, boy, they're really blessed." What's the, what's? The? Well, there are keys to the to blessed living. Do you understand that? And they're found in God's Word. And there's disciplines. And and part of it is saying no to idols in your life. Exodus chapter 20 says that God is a jealous God. He is jealous for our attention, for our affection. God wants to bless you, I believe, more than anything. He wants to show compassion and to be gracious to generations beyond. But God could say, look, I want to bless you. I want to be good to you, but the idols are in the way. And the reality is that life, when we consider it so temporary, and when we boil it all down, we got to ask ourselves, what do I really want? What do I really want for myself or for my kids or for my grandkids or as a pastor? What do I want for this church and for the lakeshore? What I want more than anything in all those circumstances is It's for my kids, my grandkids, for our church to know the blessings of God. Isn't that what we want? We want those around us to experience God in a positive way. The way that happens is to know God and to keep him first. So you say, well, why not idols? Well, it's so that God can bless you. So the question is, what is in your life worth hanging on to? What is blocking the blessings of God? Now back to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, where we started, it says, therefore, my dear friends, and again, this is a passionate plea, personal. He's saying, hey, my friends here, I want you to know, flee from idolatry. That word flee means to run for your life. Get rid of it. And you say, why? Because idolatry can be the most serious and most contaminating sin there is. And what's tricky about it is that it's subtle, it's sneaky, it pollutes us, it defiles us. Idols affect everything in our lives. As I was meditating on this and just studying, my my family, you know, they're on summer break and uh, they didn't have anything better to do this week, I guess, than to pick out some of the old uh, pictures from when I was a kid, and they did this while I was away, uh, while I was working here at the church, but I got home and my son had pulled out of the archives a picture of me, a, a photocopy of a newspaper article of when I used to play basketball in high school. This is my senior year, and uh, it says, Troy's Ben Vey battles Lake Orion's Dan Prevost for the ball, and you can see my mullet there, and uh, I should have, we should have put this on the, uh, on the screen for everyone to see um, but, you know, I, my son, he was asking me a little bit about this and, uh, and making fun of my hairdo and, you know, and all those things. But uh, and what's interesting, it reminded me of a time in my life where I had an idol of basketball, and I've shared this story before, but I want to share it briefly again, that it, when I was in high school, that's all I could think about. I had not made my team the freshman year, and I was devastated. The JV coach came and said, hey, I'd like you to play AAU, which was kind of a travel team. And uh, we decided to do that. And by my junior year, I was starting and then my soft or my junior year, sorry, my sophomore year, I was I made J V and then I made I was bumped up and long story short, my senior year of high school, that's all I thought about. That was all that was important to me. But what I realized in as a young man, and I look back, I say, Man, you know, thank the Lord I had this insight, but the basketball was becoming all consuming. It was everything I thought about is that, you know, it, And we were practicing on Wednesday nights, which was youth group night, and it was a priority. I was going to be at practice because that's what I cared about. Sunday nights, they added practice, and we had Sunday night church then, and so uh, I was missing Sunday night. I was missing Wednesday night, and all of a sudden, my friends that at, at church were becoming more distant, and my friends on the basketball team were becoming the friends that were influencing me. I went to a couple parties, and I realized I was slipping in my life and basketball had become an idol that was unhealthy for me. I prayed about it. And you might know, remember the story if you've been a couple years ago when I shared this. But I, I decided in my senior year, mid-season, that it was going to affect me in such a way, so negative, that I quit my basketball team. And I did not touch a basketball for one year, my senior year. And it was the best decision that I could have ever made. It was difficult. My parents, they really questioned it, but they stood behind me. My coach really didn't understand it, and uh, I'm not sure he ever did understand or, or get it. But for me, I needed to focus on the Lord. I knew I was called to ministry, but I was slipping away. And for me, in that season, I had to lay it down and to burn that idol. I needed to run for my life in regards to that. And what's Interesting is, you know, I made the right choice then. But today, I need to search my heart again. And tomorrow, I'll need to search my heart again. And next week, and next year, and every day, really, we need to search our hearts. I asked my family, I kind of alluded to it at the beginning. um, uh, If you know me, I can get excited and passionate about certain things. And in um, my family, they kind of like to make fun of me, my kids. I don't know if this is healthy or not, but uh, they do. And they're like, oh, you're, you're obsessed with this or that. And uh, I, I said on, on the way we were driving, I said, oh, I need some help thinking of some of the things that I've been obsessed with, uh, you know, over the years. And, oh, they had a heyday with it. Jessica grabbed the pen and paper and just, you know, started listing things. And, I'm, and I started thinking, oh, my goodness, and then I'm like, I was planning on sharing these, and I'm like, I'm not sure it's a good idea, but I'm going to do it anyway. But there was a time in my life that I was passionate and uh, obsessed with aquariums and fish, and it was all I thought about. There was a time, and I might still be in this, when it comes to watches and certain types of watches, and that's a more of a story than I'd like to share. Alan Edmonds, and uh, some of you are saying, what's Alan Edmonds? And you don't need to know, but uh, I had... Six pair of Allen Edmonds, Birkenstocks, yo-yos, hacky sacks, (laughs) spearfishing, made the list, Mike. (laughs) Mountain biking, I used to race mountain bikes, and that's all I would do. Uh, Camping, Patagonia, if you don't know what that is, I can share with you after service. Oakley's, exercise in general, eBay, Sandra Bullock, and let me just say, I know what some of you are thinking, what's the pastor's the issue? Is, I made one comment that I thought Sandra Bullock was attractive and that my family's never let me down, and uh, so that made the list. Road biking, cars, Mustangs, and I used to always have uh, a Mustang when I was buying and selling cars. Motorcycles, coffee, my hair, <laughs> my mullet they were reminding me of, and then I was shaving my head, and that was a big deal, and now my new do, and uh, thanks to Jen, all right? And that's good. Basketball. I used to be passionate and obsessed with golf in college. In fact, to, to the point Jessica reminded me that she, for my graduation gift, she bought me a set of ping irons that were, uh, I had to have, and they were my size and the right, right everything. And, uh, and now I play, like, once a year, maybe. And uh, it's interesting. Uh, p- p- you g- is this y- even interesting? Probably not. Uh, just a couple more. I'll say uh, playing pool, all right, uh, uh, billiards. Uh, snow skiing of course and then even my lawn and that's something I still struggle with I want it to be as nice as possible and there are other oh the uh, Qdoba (laughs) they made the list and uh, and they just kept on adding and they didn't all you know all make this and you say well why why are you saying this because what I want you to know is for me and my guess is for you as well there's a list of things that at any time they could sneak up and become an idol, and it can get my life out of proportion with God. Any one of these things, and things not even mentioned, that aren't even on my radar, can knock me off track, can affect my relationship with God. And I'm, I'm just honest, it, it's happened. And I've struggled through the years with idolatry, and I stand here and I say, man, I, I would never thought 10 years ago I'd be standing before a group of people saying, yeah, I struggle in this area, but it's true. And My guess is that it may be true in some of your lives as well. You say, man, I'm, not a, I'm no idol worshiper. Well, I, I beg to challenge you to consider your life. Look at what you're holding on to. There was a poem, and I didn't uh, grab it, uh, but it talked about holding on to things in our lives that are more important than God and more important than even God's riches. And the poem had a little line that said that God could not pour riches into hands already full. That if we're holding on to things and if things become an idol and we've got a foothold in our lives, God, his ability to bless us, is affected. It just is. And you may be struggling in your life, and maybe it's because God is not number one. Maybe you need to answer the question, who or what is first in your life? And spend some time and let it sink in. And I don't want anyone here to feel like you're exempt from answering that question. Today, tomorrow, and next week, and so on and so forth. Because it's it's sneaky. It's subtle. It's subtle. And my guess is that the enemy would love to get a grip in your life in some area. Like the one commentator said, it's the most subtle or it's the most contaminating sin that there is, idolatry. And I don't think any of us are exempt. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Lord, we thank you for this morning. I thank you, God, that you speak to us through your word. And God, help us to really take a good look at idolatry in our lives. To take a look and ask the question, who or what is first in our lives? What are we holding on to? Are we blocking the blessings from you, God, because of idolatry? It could be a myriad of things, hundreds of things we could list this morning. But God, I pray that no. it doesn't matter what our neighbor's struggling with. Lord, what matters is what you're speaking to us right here, right now, to our own hearts, to our own lives. And God, I pray in these next moment here, Lord, that you would help us to be honest, to be able to walk out your ways and help us to grow in Jesus' name. With everyone's head bowed and eyes continue to be closed this morning, I don't know everyone here. There's some guests here. And uh, I, just, I don't want to take for granted that everyone here even knows the Lord. If you don't know Jesus as your personal Savior this morning, there's no reason you need to walk out of these doors without giving your heart to Jesus. It would be the best decision that you've ever made. And if you're here this morning, you're away from God, or maybe you've never served God, and uh, you'd like to make that decision, uh, would you just raise your hand? I want to pray for you. I'm not going to call you out or embarrass you. I do have some tools that we could get into your hands, but anyone here this morning that that would be the case. Anyone at all? Yep, that's where I am today. I don't know Jesus. If I were to die today, I'm not sure where I'd spend an eternity. Anyone at all? Okay. All right. I don't see any hands. Keep your head bowed and eyes closed here just a moment. This morning, we're not going to have an official altar call, but I do want to challenge you with this last question, which I've already mentioned. Can you say God is number one in your life today? Not what he was in college or when I first got married or when I was back in school or last week. Is God number one in your life today? And if he's not, Can you let go of some things and give God priority? I believe that the Lord is speaking this morning to many of us here in regards to idols, things that are more important, that have slipped in, that have taken precedence. And I believe that God wants you to identify those and then to deal with those in your life. Father, I pray that in this solemn moment, Lord, that you would speak very clearly. And I know our time has run a little long, but, God, I pray that right now, right here, God, that we would be identifying areas of our lives that have taken precedence. God, we give it back. And, Lord, we say we're sorry. Forgive us, God. Lord, we lay it down. And, God, I pray that my example of the right choice that I made back in high school would just inspire someone to maybe lay aside something that has become an idol today. And, God, help me to make the choice today. Even though I made the right choice then, God, help me today to make the right choice again and again and again. And, God, I pray that you would just go with us Go before us, behind us, and all around us for your glory, for your honor. We pray it in Jesus' name.